Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jen. This is, uh, as she said, the first uh, week of our focus on the North American Mission Board Annie Armstrong Easter offering as the Lord is leading us as a church to uh, re-engage our Acts 1-8 vision. And last month, we talked a lot about the Hope Fund. Uh, if, if the Lord leads you to continue to give to the Hope Fund, you can still find it. But our emphasis between now and Easter is going to be on our Annie Armstrong Easter offering. So be aware of that. And uh, I'm going to talk a little bit more about it at the end of the service if I remember. That word remember is an important word. We're going to find it in the first verse and the last verse of our our study today in Genesis chapter 8. <clears throat> I thought about how important it is for us to remember. How is it crucial? Is it does it really matter if we remember things? And then I thought about, uh, you know, I only dated two young women extensively in my life. I had a couple other dates, but as a high school, uh, a young man in high school, and I was involved in church already, I was seeking the Lord's direction for my life. Uh, I, I met a girl at church whose name was Debbie. I dated Debbie for a couple years, and then uh, after Debbie and I broke up, the only other person that I've dated for any significant period of time, I've now dated for about 38 years. Her name is Susan. Uh, the, 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 one of the struggles that I had was one of their birthdays was November the 4th, and the other one's birthday is November the 14th. I think that Susan's birthday is the 14th. That is correct. I remember. Now, truth be told, I have, that has stuck in my head, and I have made it a point not to forget that date. Now, I used to tease her a lot. November the 4th would come around, and I'd bring her some little gift or something, and she'd say, that's not my birthday. Her birthday is the 14th of November, uh, not the 4th. Why is it important that I remember? Is it important that I remember? All the women said, yes. But the men went, eh. You know, uh, it is important because it, we remember what we value. We remember what is important to us. Now, that doesn't discount the fact that sometimes, both men and women, we get too busy. We have so many things in our life that we forget. Uh, well, our minds flooded with stuff. But the bottom line is, I'll, I'll, a lot of times I'll have people tell me, well, I just forgot. I'm sorry. Well, th the truth is, when you forget, you're communicating that something or someone doesn't hold that much value. In fact, I'll even make it a point if now, because as I grow older and I don't remember things as well, if I value something, if it's important to me, I put it on my calendar because I don't want to forget. It is important that we remember because what we remember, we remember what matters, right? In Genesis chapter 8, right as the, the rains were coming to an end and the waters had surged on the earth for 150 days, Scripture says, Genesis 8 verse 1 says, God remembered Noah. Now, that doesn't mean that God had forgotten Noah for a half a year. It means that God was mindful of Noah. The same word is used by the psalmist David in Psalm chapter 8 
when David looks at the, the, the incredible creation of God, when he looks at the mountains and he looks at the oceans and he sees all of God's incredible creation and he says, and what are human beings? What is man that you remember us? Some of your Bibles will use the word, what is man that you're mindful of us? Why do you even think about us? Why do you even care about us as humans when you have all of this incredible creation, this universe that you've created in your glory and in your power? Why do you remember us? It's the same Hebrew word. The root is, is as in all Hebrew words, or almost all Hebrew words, it's a, a three-character word, zakar. Why do, you, why do you remember us? He remembers because we matter. Humans, we are, are the crowning glory of God's creation. Of all the things that God created, we matter most. God loves us and desires a relationship with us to the extent that he sent his son to die on a cross for us that we could have a relationship with him. You know, I reminded as we were singing, How Great Thou Art, that song stirs me as it does many. And I heard many of you wanted to clap before we even re-sang one of the verses. But I looked up as we were singing and I saw tears in a few eyes. I, I even had tears in, in my own eyes as I think about the glory and the majesty of God's creation. But my tears aren't just because of the beauty of his creation. It, it also reminded me of uh, a couple years ago when we drove over the, the pass coming into Teton Valley and Susan saw the Grand Tetons and began to weep. What are you crying for? There's mountains, right? When we see God's creation and remember what he's done and, and understand the beauty of it, and then pause to reflect on the fact that God, who created all of that, remembers me. It's the beauty of that word that we're going to see at the beginning and the end of our study today. We're going to read a long section, but we're going to do it in parts today. <clears throat> Usually I read the entire paragraph or the entire section of the text. Today we're going to read <clears throat> as we go through it in three different sections. So we're going to begin just in chapter 8, verse 1 through 4. The scripture says, God remembered Noah as well as all the wildlife and the livestock and that were with him in the ark. God caused a wind to pass over the earth and the water began to subside. The sources of the watery depths and the floodplains of the sky were closed and the rain from the sky stopped. The water steadily receded from the earth and by the end of 150 days, the water had decreased significantly. The ark came to rest in the seventh month on the 17th day of the month on the mountains of Ararat. So God remembered Noah. And what I, want to, what I want you to see in this is God's grace and God's mercy in his mindfulness of us. God hadn't just thrown Noah to the, to the storm. He hadn't just thrown him to the wind. He didn't just put him in a boat and forget about him. And when we're going through struggles and battles and difficulties in our lives, Sometimes it feels like God has forgotten us. It feels like he's left us to our own desires, our own, our own issues. But I want you to rest assured that God never forgets you, even in the midst of the storm. In God's mindfulness of us, in his 
memory of us, as he thinks of us, as he knows where we are in the midst of the battles and the storms of our life, we see God's grace and God's mercy. We see God's mercy in the fact that Noah wasn't perfect. Noah was considered righteous because he had faith in God, because he walked with God, Scripture told us, and we looked at the last couple weeks. Noah wasn't perfect, but God, Noah was counted as righteous because he had a relationship with God, because he trusted in God. We, we dug into that last week, especially when you think about the fact that Noah spent possibly a hundred years or close to it building that ark, even though he had never seen rain before. He trusted God. He took God at his word. And because of his relationship with God, Noah experienced the grace and mercy of God. The rest of humanity perished in their wickedness. They got what they deserved. Hear this. Noah didn't get what he deserved because because of his sin, he still deserved to perish. All humanity is wicked. All of us have sinned. And yet God showed mercy and grace on Noah who had faith in him and walked with him. God remembered Noah. And when he, his memory of us or his thoughts of us or an extension of his grace. I have a, a friend, and I've shared this with you before, that he asked me a question one time that really stuck with me. He said, if, if you were to, to sit down at your kitchen table this morning and Jesus walked in physically, bodily, walked in and sat down across the table from you, what do you think is the first thing that Jesus would have to say to you? Man, my mind started racing while well, he started talking to me about why did you watch that or why did you say that or why did you act like that last night? We started thinking about all of the things that I had done wrong and how in his holiness, first of all, I felt like I just have to fall down on the floor because of his, his holiness compared to my sinfulness. But Kerry Camp, this good friend of mine, he said, you know what I believe? He said, I believe that, that the Lord would look at you and I and say, I love you. I've thought of you a thousand times today. Now, that resonated with my spirit because I believe that the Lord loves us so much that he is mindful of us every moment of every day. He thinks of us. That's his grace that he extends toward us. Read with me following then from verse 5 all the way down to the end of chapter 8. The water continued to recede until the 10th month, and the 10th month on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were visible. After 40 days, Noah opened a window of the ark that he had made, and he sent out a raven. It went back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see whether the water on the earth's surface had gone down. But the dove found no resting place for its foot. It returned to him in the ark because water covered the surface of the whole earth. He reached out, and he brought it into the ark to himself. So Noah waited seven more days and sent out the dove from the ark again. When the dove came to him at evening... There was a plucked olive leaf in its beak. So Noah knew that the water on the earth's surface had gone down. After he had waited another seven days, he sent out the dove, but it did not return to him again. In the 600 first year, in the first month, on the first day of the month, the water that had covered the earth was dried up. Noah removed the ark's cover and saw that the surface of the ground was drying but the 27th day of the second month, or by the 27th day of the second month, the earth was dry. So at this point, Noah had spent a year 
in a day inside that ark. Now, I don't know what they did with all of the manure from those animals, but my guess is that by that time, I would be ready to get off of that boat. I've met a few people, and Susan and I have only been on a couple cruises, a couple short, shorter cruises. The first one we went on was for Katie's Make-A-Wish trip, and then we went on one uh, later that we had won uh, in some drawing kind of thing. And so we, uh, it was a short cruise. And, but I've, I've got friends that have talked about it. Some people just absolutely love cruises. I have other friends who can't stand the idea of being stuck on a boat for five days or seven days. They just can't even imagine that. Noah was on that boat with all of those animals for a year taking care of them. Here's my point. Noah looks outside and it's drying. When he looks out there again and it's dry, but Noah doesn't get off the boat yet. Walk through this with me. The first thing I want you to see from this is Noah trusted God to keep his promises. God had promised Noah that when he sent the flood that he would protect him. If he would build the boat and he would get on the boat, when God told him to get on the boat, then God would protect him. And so Noah had seen the God who made those promises even when it didn't make sense. When Noah was about 500 years old, Noah heard God speak and said, build this boat. And so Noah goes to work building the boat. When Noah is 600 years old, he's finished building the boat, and he gets on the boat as the rain clouds start to gather. God sends the rain, and, and God did exactly what God said he was going to do. The floods came, and they wiped out all of the wickedness on the earth. And then the floods receded. Noah watched that for 150 days, watched the waters recede. Then he sees the land begin to dry up. He sends out the birds, and then he looks out, and the land is dry. But Noah still doesn't leave the boat. Why? He got on the boat when God told him to, and he wasn't getting off until God told him to. I want you to notice that in this text. God of Noah trusted the word of the Lord to the extent that he waited on God's word, even when it looked okay, even when it made sense, even when it looked like he could knock that door down and get off of that boat and let those animals go, he waited until God spoke. Noah didn't leave the ark until God told him to leave the ark. Verse 15 says, then God spoke to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wives, your sons, and the your son's wives with you. Bring all the living creatures that are with you, birds, livestock, those that crawl on the earth, and they will spread over the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah, along with his sons, his wives, his son's wives came out, all the animals, all the creatures that crawl, all the flying creatures, everything that moves on the earth came out of the ark by their families. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. He took some of every kind of clean animal and every kind of clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, he said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of human beings, even though the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth onward. And I will never again strike down every living thing as I have done. As long as the earth endures, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will not cease. Noah 
waited for God's word and followed the Lord's leadership. I want you to see two things here that apply to us. First of all, we can trust God to keep his promises. If God calls you to something, he will enable you and he will sustain you. He will empower you. You can trust him to do what he says he's going to do. That means that when God promised that he was going to send a a, a savior, that he was going to send someone to crush the serpent's head in Genesis chapter 3, that promise was going to be fulfilled. When he promised that he was going to send a Messiah who was going to be born in Bethlehem, hundreds of years later, that promise was fulfilled in Christ. God fulfills his promises even when it seems like it may take too long. I can assure you that if I was Noah on that boat, when it stopped raining after 150 days, I would start thinking, all right, I'm getting off of this thing. Next week, maybe. Well, no, maybe next week. Oh, maybe next week. For six more months, he was waiting. And then even after it was dry, he waited, and he waited because he was waiting for God to speak. What a great picture for us. We can trust God to keep his promises, but we need to wait on him and trust his timing. Wait until he speaks, and then when he speaks, respond immediately. I can, immediately, I can guarantee you that once God spoke, Noah got off the boat. And then the, the, the last thing that I want you to see in this paragraph is Noah did exactly what I would expect Noah to do because it is really the only appropriate response to God's provision and God's deliverance. He worshiped God. That's truly what worship ought to be. We've gone through a time in our culture where churches would gather on Sunday mornings and the main focus on Sunday morning and worship service was to provide a place for seekers to come to hear the gospel. The truth is that the the primary purpose for us gathering on Sunday morning is not for the seekers, those who don't know Christ yet. All are welcome to come to this place and worship Christ with us. And my prayer is that every Sunday they'll hear the gospel message proclaimed. But we need to hear that gospel message proclaimed as followers of Jesus Christ. This ought to be a place where God's people come together every week and worship the living God because of his great mercy and his grace, his provision and his deliverance of us. We celebrate the fact that Jesus died and Jesus rose every single Sunday. In fact, the reason the church meets on the first day of the week instead of the last day of the week is because Jesus rose on the first day of the week. The Jews celebrate the Sabbath on Saturday. We celebrate the the Sabbath on Sunday when we come to worship a living God because this is the day that Jesus rose and provided a way He delivered us from our sin and gave us his hope of eternal life. Worship is the only appropriate response when we understand what God has done for us and how he's provided for us and how he's delivered us. And that's exactly what Noah did. As soon as he got off the boat, the first thing he did was lead his family in worship. If we don't do that, if we don't intentionally, purposefully Come and worship the holy living God. We're missing out on his design for us and his desires. In fact, you see, God's, God took pleasure in Noah's worship. 
when God smelled the aroma of the scripture, says, I don't believe it's because the burning flesh of the animal smelled good to God's nostrils. I believe it's because that act of worship is what God desired and he received from Noah. And then the last part of this text, as we look down through chapter 9, verses 1 through 15, God renewed his promise, not just with Noah, but with all of mankind. God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear and the terror you, it, of you will be in every living creature on the earth, every bird of the sky, every creature that crawls on the ground, and all the fish of the sea. They are placed under your authority. Every creature that lives and moves will be food for you. As I gave the green plants, I have given you everything. However, you must not eat meat with its lifeblood in it, and I will require a penalty for your lifeblood. I will require from any animal and any from any human. If someone murders a fellow human, I will require that person's life. Whoever sheds human blood by humans, his blood will be shed, for God made humans in his image. But you be fruitful and multiply, spread over, out over the earth and multiply on it. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, understand that I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you. And with every living creature that is with you, birds, livestock, and all the wildlife of the earth that are with you, all the animals of the earth that came out of the ark, I establish my covenant with you that never again will every creature be wiped out by floodwaters. There will never again be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all future generations. I have placed my bow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I form clouds over the earth and the bow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures. Water will never again become a flood to destroy every creature. Here we see God's renewal and restoration of all that he had intended in the first place. In fact, what you, what you hear when you read, especially down through the first seven verses, is almost a, a repeat of what you see in the book of Genesis, in the creation story. God blessing Noah as he blessed Adam, pouring out his blessings upon him, God's given instruction to, to Noah and his family to be fruitful and multiply, just as he gave instruction to Adam and Eve to be fruitful and to multiply. His dominion, the fact that because man was created in the image of God, just as he told Adam he was, man was created in the image of God, here he repeats that, that man's created in the image of God, and he's given us dominion over all of creation. It's our job to be stewards of all that God's created, Pause for a minute and think of that. If somebody comes to me and, and, and were to hire me for a job, and that job was to, to be a steward over uh, 100,000 acres of property, and I was, to, to, the, I was the one who had the privilege of, of taking care of all of that land and all of those cattle and all of those horses, my wife would be in heaven doing that. And she would be all in. She'd be so excited about that. And, and imagine just the privilege in the sense of overwhelming responsibility that I might have to be given that kind of trust. God has entrusted us to take care of this great creation. Those of you that, that know me 
closely know that I'm not even going to go there. We as, as Christians have a responsibility to be good stewards of all that God's provided us. Now, balance that here with God has also called us to be good stewards and value human life above everything else. He tells us here that as, as he's placed us in dominion, he's called us to be stewards of all of this incredible creation. You think of the oceans and the mountains and the, and, and the forests and the rivers, all of that God has given us dominion over, and he's called us to be good stewards of his great creation. What a privilege. He also has said, but the most important thing is human life. And you see the value that he places here on life in general, but in particular on human life. Even though God gives man the, the, uh, the authority to no longer be vegetarians, we talked about this back in Genesis chapter 3, as the animals and the wildlife begin to spread on the earth and they begin to multiply, God now is going to allow men to eat meat, okay? And from here on out, uh, praise God. I, I, I love a good venison steak, especially chicken fried the way Susan does it. God has given us dominion, but he's given us a, a role of stewardship over it, not to waste or destroy what he has provided for us. But as, as important as you see, God places value in life, and so that means in our dealings with creation, the wildlife, that we're not to take it lightly. We're not to waste life. But even more importantly, he talks about the importance of human life. And in fact, to the extent that when someone takes a human life, he's going to require that life be taken. This is the first time in Scripture and, and since Genesis 1 that we've seen God give humans the authority to enact discipline or punishment. It's right here, and it has specifically to do with the taking of human life. That's how valuable God sees life. But what you see in this is, is God expressing or re-expressing, re-establishing this relationship that he has with man. He's establishing the kind of relationship with man through Noah that he had with, with man through Adam. So we are to walk in this incredible blessing of his creation. God has blessed us with this incredible creation that he's given us, that we can enjoy, that we can celebrate, that we have dominion over, that we get to walk in. And God is calling us, as he called Adam, to walk with him and be his steward, his representative, caring for all that he's placed around us. What an incredible privilege that we have. What an incredible world God has given us. You know, there's some days I step outside, and I'm not as excited about it. This morning when I stepped outside, what a beautiful day. What a glorious spring day that the Lord has blessed us with. The trees are beginning to bud. The, the, the flowers are starting to come out. The sun is out. It's, it's, it's warm and beautiful today. God has blessed us with the, the winter and the summer, the cold and the heat, seed time and harvest, day and night. And it continues. It will not cease, he says there at the end of chapter 8. This incredible creation that God has blessed us with, we have the privilege of experiencing and enjoying every single day. And the more that we can get out in it, I believe the, the, the better off we are. When we live inside the confines of human creation, we live inside the confines of a building all the time, we miss what God created us for. 
Susan has told me that one of the things that as a counselor, she encourages kids to do, especially these kids here in the metroplexes, get outside among the trees. There's actual scientific studies that have been done that when you get outside in the sunshine among trees, it helps, helps you deal with depression and anxiety and difficulty. I need trees, right? I need the sunshine. God created us to experience and enjoy the great blessings of his creation. And he's given us a privilege of, of serving him in that. Second, so we walk in the blessings of his creation. First, we're dependent on God's mercy. God here then establishes this covenant with Noah. It says, then God said to Noah and his sons with him, understand I am establishing a covenant with you. We talked about last week. Genesis chapter 6, the first time that word covenant's used in Scripture is in relation to Noah. It says, I'm going to establish my covenant with you and your descendants after you and every living creature that is with you. God speaks and God initiates his promise. God initiates his covenant with us. Here's something that's unique about a covenant. The covenants in Scripture are unidirectional. That means they come from God. It is because God showed grace and mercy upon Noah that Noah can have a relationship with God. It wasn't because Noah was good. It's because God showed his grace and mercy on you and I through Jesus Christ that we can have a covenant relationship through the blood of Christ with God. It didn't begin with us. It began with God. God's covenant always begins with him. He initiates the covenant, and in reality... We don't have much to offer back to him, do we? If you pause for a moment and you think about God's creation just on this earth, what do we have that we can offer God? And, and if you look beyond the earth and you look into the heavens and the skies and the, the, the creation of all of the glory of this universe, what is there that we can offer God? Even if we surrender all, bring all of our offering, all of our tithes, we sacrifice it all at the altar, we may call it that, how much do I actually have to bring to the table in comparison to what God has, who created it all? Isn't it silly that we think that we can affect him in some way? The only reason that we can have any impact on the heart of God is because God loves us and he chooses us. The covenant always begins with him. It's his mercy, it's his grace that we're dependent upon. We are dependent and walk in his mercy. None of us deserve a hope of an afterlife. None of us deserve the hope of an inheritance. None of us deserve heaven. But God, as he looked down at, at Noah and saw his faith, he looks at us and he sees us and he chooses us because he loves us. He remembers us. And third, we have an assurance of a future because of his promises. We can walk in the blessings of his creation. We're dependent upon his mercy and grace, but we have an assurance of a future because he has promised. And we've already learned that God keeps his promises. And here, at the end of this, this story, the scripture says, God said, this is the covenant that I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you a covenant for all future generations i've placed a bow in the clouds and will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth 
What a beautiful picture God has given us. God placed in the clouds on the, when, when the storm is coming or the storm is leaving, sometimes right in the midst of the storm, as the rain or hail are, are falling right over us, we can look up and see the reminder of God's promise that he will never again destroy the earth by the floods. So when we're in the middle of the storm, or we see the storm coming, or the storm has just passed, and you look out and the limbs are all over and your fence is laying down, you can remember that God is still with you. He hasn't abandoned you. He didn't forget you during the storm. He didn't forget you before, and he didn't forget you after. You are his, and you're in his hands. God has given us an assurance of a future and a hope because of his promise. Aren't you glad that our future, our eternity, is based on his promise and his ability to keep it, that on your faithfulness, your ability to stay true? Because the truth is we fail. We fall. We, we may try to hold on as tight as we can, but there's times when we just let go of God. He never, ever, ever lets go of us. And that rainbow that appears before and after and sometimes during the storm is a reminder of God's promise to us. What a beautiful picture. And notice when you come to verse 15, after he reestablishes that covenant, he establishes that covenant with Noah, and he reminds Noah of that covenant, he says, I will remember my covenant between me. I will be mindful of you. What a beautiful picture God has given us of his grace and his glory, but also of his love for us. Peter looks back at this passage, and I looked at a passage from Peter last week. I want to look at one more this week. Second Peter chapter 2. I'm sorry, we're going to invert a chapter 3 is where I want to read a short portion. Because this is where we are in life. It's been a long time since the flood of Noah. And it's been a long time since Jesus died and rose again from the grave. But Jesus promised when he rose again from the grave that he was going to return one day and that those who walked with him in a relationship with him were going to be taken up into heaven and they were going to spend eternity with him. When we take our last breath on this earth, the New Testament tells us that, that our spirit goes to be with the Lord in heaven. One of these days he's going to return and he's going to raise up uh, the, those, our broken bodies they're reunited with that spirit. If you and I are alive on that day when Jesus returns, we'll be caught up together in the air with him. What a glorious day that's going to be. But we have people all throughout our land who look at the story of Noah. They, they hear the story of Adam. They, they heard about the story of Jesus, and they scoff at it. They laugh because it's been a long time. Paul thought that Jesus may return in his time. 2,000 years ago, listen to what Peter says. Be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days, scoffing and following their own evil desire, saying, where is this coming that he promised? Ever since our ancestors fell asleep, all things continue as they have been since the beginning of creation. They deliberately overlooked this, though. By the word of God, the heavens came into being long ago, and the earth was brought out from the water and through water. Through these, the world of that time perished when it was flooded, and the more I, I watch the news and see this, the, the record of the fossils, the more I'm convinced scientifically that the world was flooded by the great flood that caught sit. By the same word, the same word that created the heavens and the earth and the same word that flooded the world, 
By that same word, the present heavens and earth are stored up for fire, being kept for a day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. See, there is going to come a day of judgment again. There is going to come a day when God's people will be brought near to him and when the wicked will perish. But dear friends, don't overlook one fact. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but to come to repentance. Peter looks back at the flood and he sees the promise of God fulfilled. And he reminds us that that same God who created the world, the same God who sent the flood, is the same God who promised that there's going to come another day of judgment that we need to be prepared for. And though it may seem like it's been a long time, I still think of Noah driving the nails in that boat or the round pegs or whatever he used to hold those, that lumber together. Year after year, decade after decade, waiting for that first raindrop to fall. One of these days, the world as we know it, People are going to be getting married. People are going to be going through everyday life. People are going to be getting up, going to work. They're going to be coming home from work. They're going to be having families. But the world as we know it is going to come to an end when God says enough. And just as he kept his promise in the days of Noah, he's going to keep his promise to us. We can be assured of our future in him because God keeps his promises. You struggling? Now, here's, here's the bottom line. This is what I want you to take away from, from the text. If, if, if nothing else, when you look to that rainbow in the sky and you remember God keeps his promises, we're going to go through tough times when the storms come. We're going to go through tough times sometimes before the storm. We're going to go through tough times after the storm, dealing with the aftermath of the storms of our life. And sometimes those storms are going to lead us through times of depression. Those storms are going to lead us through uh, times of, of hopelessness. But when we face struggles and times of depression and seasons of hopelessness, I want you to remember this. Remember the, the promise that God gave us that he placed in the sky that would come before, during, and after the storms, his rainbow. And remember that we live in this incredible world that God has created for us and blessed us with and given us the privilege of getting up every day and being a part of. The sun comes up every morning and goes down every evening. God created this beautiful scenery and this beautiful world for us to experience and us to enjoy. Remember that we are the recipients of God's grace and mercy. Even though we didn't deserve it, God sent his son because he loves us and he remembers us. And remember that in God's promises, we have the assurance of a future and a hope that cannot be taken away from us even when we fail because God is faithful and he keeps his promises. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Watauga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Watauga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwatauga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and praise. Thank you.